Section 11 of Gorgias by Plato Translated by Benjamin Jowett This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Johnson Socrates O oh, my dear friend, I say nothing against them regarded as the serving men of the state, and I do think that they were certainly more serviceable than those who are living now and better able to gratify the wishes of the state. But as to transforming those desires, and not allowing them to have their way, and using the powers which they had, whether of persuasion or of force, in the improvement of their fellow citizens, which is the prime object of the truly good citizen, I do not see that in these respects they were a whit superior to our present statesmen, although I do admit that they were more clever at providing ships, and walls, and docks, and all that. You and I have a ridiculous way, for during the whole time that we are arguing, we are always going round and round to the same point, and constantly misunderstanding one another. If I am not mistaken, you have admitted and acknowledged more than once that there are two kinds of operations which have to do with the body, and two which have to do with the soul. One of the two is ministerial, and if our bodies are hungry provides food for them, and if they are thirsty gives them drink, or if they are cold supplies them with garments, blankets, shoes, and all that they crave. I use the same images as before intentionally, in order that you may understand me the better. The purveyor of the articles may provide them either wholesale or retail, or he may be the maker of any of them, the baker, or the cook, or the weaver, or the shoemaker, or the courier, and in so doing, being such as he is, he is naturally supposed by himself and every one to minister to the body, for none of them know that there is another art, an art of gymnastic and medicine, which is the true minister of the body, and ought to be the mistress of all the rest, and to use their results according to the knowledge which she has, and they have not, of the real good or bad effects of meats and drinks on the body. All other arts which have to do with the body are servile and menial and illiberal, and gymnastic and medicine are, as they ought to be, their mistresses. Now when I say that all this is equally true of the soul, you seem at first to know and understand and assent to my words, and then a little while afterwards you come repeating, has not the state had good and noble citizens? And when I ask you who they are, you reply, seemingly quite in earnest, as if I had asked, who are or have been good trainers? And you had replied, Thierion, the baker, Mythowakis, who wrote the Sicilian cookery book, Cerambus, the vintner. These are ministers of the body, first-rate in their art, for the first makes admirable loaves, the second excellent dishes, and the third capital wine. To me, these appear to be the exact parallel of the statesmen whom you mention. Now you would not be altogether pleased if I said to you, my friend, you know nothing of gymnastics. Those of whom you are speaking to me are only the ministers and purveyors of luxury, who have no good or noble notions of their art, and may very likely be filling and fattening men's bodies and gaining their approval, although the result is that they lose their original flesh in the long run, and become thinner than they were before. And yet they, in their simplicity, will not attribute their diseases and loss of flesh to their entertainers. 
but when in after years the unhealthy surfeit brings the attendant penalty of disease he who happens to be near them at the time and offers them advice is accused and blamed by them and if they could they would do him some harm while they proceed to eulogize the men who have been the real authors of the mischief and that callicles is just what you are now doing you praise the men who feasted the citizens and satisfied their desires and people say that they have made the city great not seeing that the swollen and ulcerated condition of the state is to be attributed to these elder statesmen for they have filled the city full of harbours and docks and walls and revenues and all that and have left no room for justice and temperance and when the crisis of the disorder comes the people will blame the advisers of the hour and applaud themistocles and cimon and pericles who are the real authors of their calamities and if you are not careful they may assail you and my friend alcibiades when they are losing not only their new acquisitions but also their original possessions not that you are the authors of these misfortunes of theirs although you may perhaps be accessories to them a great piece of work is always being made as i see and am told now as of old about our statesmen when the state treats any of them as malefactors i observe that there is a great uproar and indignation at the supposed wrong which is done to them after all their many services to the state that they should unjustly perish so the tale runs but the cry is all a lie for no statesman ever could be unjustly put to death by the city of which he is the head the case of the professed statesman is i believe very much like that of the professed sophist for the sophists although they are wise men are nevertheless guilty of a strange piece of folly professing to be teachers of virtue they will often accuse their disciples of wrongdoing them and defrauding them of their pay and showing no gratitude for their services yet what can be more absurd than that men who have become just and good and whose injustice has been taken away from them and who have had justice implanted in them by their teachers should act unjustly by reason of the injustice which is not in them can anything be more irrational my friends than this you callicles compel me to be a mob orator because you will not answer callicles and you are the man who cannot speak unless there is some one to answer socrates i suppose that i can just now at any rate the speeches which i am making are long enough because you refuse to answer me but i adjure you by the god of friendship my good sir do tell me whether there does not appear to you to be a great inconsistency in saying that you have made a man good and then blaming him for being bad callicles yes it appears so to me socrates do you never hear our professors of education speaking in this inconsistent manner callicles yes but why talk of men who are good for nothing socrates i would rather say why talk of men who profess to be rulers and declare that they are devoted to the improvement of the city and nevertheless upon occasion declaim against the utter vileness of the city do you think that there is any difference between one and the other my good friend the sophist and the rhetorician as i was saying to polus are the same or nearly the same but you ignorantly fancy that rhetoric is a perfect thing 
and sophistry a thing to be despised whereas the truth is that sophistry is as much superior to rhetoric as legislation is to the practice of law or gymnastic to medicine the orators and sophists as i am inclined to think are the only class who cannot complain of the mischief ensuing to themselves from that which they teach others without in the same breath accusing themselves of having done no good to those whom they profess to benefit is not this a fact callicles certainly it is socrates if they were right in saying that they make men better then they are the only class who can afford to leave their remuneration to those who have been benefited by them whereas if a man has been benefited in any other way if for example he has been taught to run by a trainer he might possibly defraud him of his pay if the trainer left the matter to him and made no agreement with him that he should receive money as soon as he had given him the utmost speed for not because of any deficiency of speed do men act unjustly but by reason of injustice callicles very true socrates and he who removes injustice can be in no danger of being treated unjustly he alone can safely leave the honorarium to his pupils if he be really able to make them good am i not right parentheses compare protagoras end of parentheses callicles yes socrates then we have found the reason why there is no dishonour in a man receiving pay who is called in to advise about building or any other art callicles yes we have found the reason socrates but when the point is how a man may become best himself and best govern his family and state then to say that you will give no advice gratis is held to be dishonourable callicles true socrates and why because only such benefits call forth a desire to requite them and there is evidence that a benefit has been conferred when the benefactor receives a return otherwise not is this true callicles it is socrates then to which service of the state do you invite me determine for me am i to be the physician of the state who will strive and struggle to make the athenians as good as possible or am i to be the servant and flatterer of the state speak out my good friend freely and fairly as you did at first and ought to do again and tell me your entire mind callicles i say then that you should be the servant of the state socrates the flatterer well sir that is a noble invitation callicles the mycian socrates or what you please for if you refuse the consequences will be socrates do not repeat the old story that he who likes will kill me and get my money for then i shall have to repeat the old answer that he will be a bad man and will kill the good and that the money will be of no use to him but that he will wrongly use that which he wrongly took and if wrongly basely and if basely hurtfully callicles how confident you are socrates that you will never come to harm you seem to think that you are living in another country and can never be brought into a court of justice as you very likely may be brought by some miserable and mean person socrates then i must indeed be a fool callicles if i do not know that in the athenian state any man may suffer anything 
and if I am brought to trial and incur the dangers of which you speak, he will be a villain who brings me to trial, of that I am very sure, for no good man would accuse the innocent, nor shall I be surprised if I am put to death, shall I tell you why I anticipate this? Callicles, by all means. Socrates, I think that I am the only or almost the only Athenian living who practices the true art of politics. I am the only politician of my time. Now, seeing that when I speak my words are not uttered with any view of gaining favour, and that I look to what is best and not to what is most pleasant, having no mind to use those arts and graces which you recommend, I shall have nothing to say in the justice court. And you might argue with me as I was arguing with Paulus. I shall be tried just as a physician would be tried in a court of little boys at the indictment of the cook. What would he reply under such circumstances if someone were to accuse him, saying, O oh, my boys, many evil things has this man done to you. He is the death of you, especially of the younger ones among you, cutting and burning and starving and suffocating you until you know not what to do. He gives you the bitterest potions and compels you to hunger and thirst. How unlike the variety of meats and sweets on which I feasted you. What do you suppose that the physician would be able to reply when he found himself in such a predicament? If he told the truth, he could only say, All these evil things, my boys, I did for your health. And then, would there not just be a clamour among a jury like that? How they would cry out. Callicles, I dare say. Socrates, would he not be utterly at a loss for a reply? Callicles, he certainly would. Socrates, and I too shall be treated in the same way, as I well know, if I am brought before the court, for I shall not be able to rehearse to the people the pleasures which I have procured for them, and which, although I am not disposed to envy either the procurers or enjoyers of them, are deemed by them to be benefits and advantages. And if any one says that I corrupt young men and perplex their minds, or that I speak evil of old men and use bitter words towards them, whether in private or public, it is useless for me to reply as I truly might. All this I do for the sake of justice, and with a view to your interest, my judges, and to nothing else. And therefore there is no saying what may happen to me. Callicles, and do you think, Socrates, that a man who is thus defenceless is in a good position? Socrates, yes, Callicles, if he have that defence, which as you have often acknowledged he should have, if he be his own defence, and have never said or done anything wrong, either in respect of gods or men, and this has been repeatedly acknowledged by us to be the best sort of defence. And if any one could convict me of inability to defend myself or others after this sort, I should blush for shame, whether I was convicted before many, or before a few, or by myself alone. And if I died for want of ability to do so, that would indeed grieve me. But if I died because I have no powers of flattery or rhetoric, I am very sure that you would not find me repining at death. For no man who is not an utter fool and coward is afraid of death itself. But he is afraid of doing wrong. For to go to the world below having one soul full of injustice is the last and worst of all evils. 
and in proof of what I say, if you have no objection, I should like to tell you a story. Callicles. Very well, proceed, and then we shall have done. Socrates. Listen then, as storytellers say, to a very pretty tale, which I dare say that you may be disposed to regard as a fable only, but which, as I believe, is a true tale, for I mean to speak the truth. Homer tells us, parentheses, Iliad, end of parentheses, how Zeus and Poseidon and Pluto divided the empire which they inherited from their father. Now in the days of Cronos there existed a law respecting the destiny of man which has always been and still continues to be in heaven, that he who has lived all his life in justice and holiness shall go, when he is dead, to the islands of the blessed, and dwell there in perfect happiness, out of the reach of evil, but that he who has lived unjustly and impiously shall go to the house of vengeance and punishment, which is called Tartarus. And in the time of Cronos, and even quite lately in the reign of Zeus, the judgment was given on the very day on which the men were to die. The judges were alive, and the men were alive, and the consequence was that the judgments were not well given. And the consequence was that the judgments were not well given. Then Pluto and the authorities from the islands of the blessed came to Zeus, and said that the souls found their way to the wrong places. Zeus said, I shall put a stop to this. The judgments are not well given because the persons who are judged have their clothes on, for they are alive, and there are many who, having evil souls, are apparelled in fair bodies, or encased in wealth or rank, and, when the day of judgment arrives, numerous witnesses come forward and testify on their behalf that they have lived righteously. The judges are awed by them, and they themselves too have their clothes on when judging. Their eyes and ears and their whole bodies are interposed as a veil before their own souls. All this is a hindrance to them. There are the clothes of the judges and the clothes of the judged. What is to be done? I will tell you. In the first place, I will deprive men of the foreknowledge of death, which they possess at present. This power which they have, Prometheus has already received my orders to take from them. In the second place, they shall be entirely stripped before they are judged, for they shall be judged when they are dead, and the judge too shall be naked, that is to say, dead. He with his naked soul shall pierce into the other naked souls, and they shall die suddenly and be deprived of all their kindred, and leave their brave attire strewn upon the earth. Conducted in this manner, the judgment will be just. I knew all about the matter before any of you, and therefore... I have made my sons judges, two from Asia, Minos and Rhadamanthus, and one from Europe, Iacus, and these, when they are dead, shall give judgment in the meadow at the parting of the ways, whence the two roads lead, one to the islands of the blessed, and the other to Tartarus. Rhadamanthus shall judge those who come from Asia, and Iacus those who come from Europe, and to Minos I shall give the primacy and he shall hold a court of appeal. In case either of the two others are in any doubt, then the judgment respecting the last journey of men will be as just as possible. From this tale, Callicles, which I have heard and believe, I draw the following inferences. 
death if i am right is in the first place the separation from one another of two things soul and body nothing else and after they are separated they retain their several natures as in life the body keeps the same habit and the results of treatment or accident are distinctly visible in it for example he who by nature or training or both was a tall man while he was alive will remain as he was after he is dead and the fat man will remain fat and so on and the dead man who in life had a fancy to have flowing hair will have flowing hair and if he was marked with the whip and had the print of the scourge or of wounds in him when he was alive you might see the same in the dead body and if his limbs were broken or misshapen when he was alive the same appearance would be visible in the dead and in a word whatever was the habit of the body during life would be distinguishable after death either perfectly or in a great measure and for a certain time and i should imagine that this is equally true of the soul callicles when a man is stripped of the body all the natural or acquired affections of the soul are laid open to view and when they come to the judge as those from asia come to radamanthus he places them near him and inspects them quite impartially not knowing whose the soul is perhaps he may lay hands on the soul of the great king or of some other king or potentate who has no soundness in him but his soul is marked with the whip and is full of the prints and scars of perjuries and crimes with which each action has stained him and he is all crooked with falsehood and imposture and has no straightness because he has lived without truth him radamanthus beholds full of all deformity and disproportion which is caused by license and luxury and insolence and incontinence and dispatches him ignominiously to his prison and there he undergoes the punishment which he deserves now the proper office of punishment is twofold he who is rightly punished ought either to become better and profit by it or he ought to be made an example to his fellows that they may see what he suffers and fear and become better those who are improved when they are punished by gods and men are those whose sins are curable and they are improved as in this world so also in another by pain and suffering for there is no other way in which they can be delivered from their evil but they who have been guilty of the worst crimes and are incurable by reason of their crimes are made examples for as they are incurable the time has passed at which they can receive any benefit they get no good themselves but others get good when they behold them enduring for ever the most terrible and painful and fearful sufferings as the penalty of their sins there they are hanging up as examples in the prison house of the world below a spectacle and a warning to all unrighteous men who come thither and among them as i confidently affirm will be found archelaus if paulus truly reports of him and any other tyrant who is like him of these fearful examples most as i believe are taken from the class of tyrants and kings and potentates and public men for they are the authors of the greatest and most impious crimes because they have the power and homer witnesses to the truth of this for they are always kings and potentates whom he has described as suffering everlasting punishment in the world below 
such were tantalus and sisyphus and titius but no one ever described thersites or any private person who was a villain as suffering everlasting punishment or as incurable for to commit the worst crimes as i am inclined to think was not in his power and he was happier than those who had the power no callicles the very bad men come from the class of those who have power parentheses compare republic end of parentheses and yet in that very class there may arise good men and worthy of all admiration they are for where there is great power to do wrong to live and to die justly is a hard thing and greatly to be praised and few there are who attain to this such good and true men however there have been and will be again at athens and in other states who have fulfilled their trust righteously and there is one who is quite famous all over hellas aristides the son of lysimachus but in general great men are also bad my friend as i was saying Rhadamanthus, when he gets the soul of the bad kind knows nothing about him neither who he is nor who his parents are he knows only that he has got hold of a villain and seeing this he stamps him as curable or incurable and sends him away to tartarus whither he goes and receives his proper recompense or again he looks with admiration on the soul of some just one who has lived in holiness and truth he may have been a private man or not and i should say callicles that he is most likely to have been a philosopher who has done his own work and not troubled himself with the doings of other men in his lifetime him radamathus sends to the islands of the placid iacus does the same and they both have sceptres and judge but minos alone has a golden sceptre and is seated looking on as odysseus in homer declares that he saw him holding a sceptre of gold and giving laws to the dead now i callicles am persuaded of the truth of these things and i consider how i shall present my soul whole and undefiled before the judge in that day renouncing the honours at which the world aims i desire only to know the truth and to live as well as i can and when i die to die as well as i can and to the utmost of my power i exhort all other men to do the same and in return for your exhortation of me i exhort you also to take part in the great combat which is the combat of life and greater than every other earthly conflict and i retort your reproach of me and say that you will not be able to help yourself when the day of trial and judgment of which i was speaking comes upon you you will go before the judge the son of aegina and when he has got you in his grip and is carrying you off you will gape and your head will swim round just as mine would in the courts of this world and very likely some one will shamefully box you on the ears and put upon you any sort of insult perhaps this may appear to you to be only an old wife's tale which you will contemn and there might be reason in your contemning such tales if by searching we could find out anything better or truer but now you see that you and paulus and gorgias who are the three wisest of the greeks of our day are not able to show that we ought to live any life which does not profit in another world as well as in this and of all that has been said nothing remains unshaken but the saying that to do injustice is more to be avoided than to suffer injustice 
and that the reality and not the appearance of virtue is to be followed above all things as well in public as in private life and that when any one has been wrong in anything he is to be chastised and that the next best thing to a man being just is that he should become just and be chastised and punished also that he should avoid all flattery of himself as well as of others of the few or of the many and rhetoric and any other art should be used by him and all his actions should be done always with a view to justice follow me then and i will lead you where you will be happy in life and after death as the argument shows and never mind if someone despises you as a fool and insults you if he has a mind let him strike you by zeus and do you be of good cheer and do not mind the insulting blow for you will never come to any harm in the practice of virtue if you are a really good and true man when we have practiced virtue together we will apply ourselves to politics if that seems desirable or we will advise about whatever else may seem good to us for we shall be better able to judge then in our present condition we ought not to give ourselves airs for even on the most important subjects we are always changing our minds so utterly stupid are we let us then take the argument as our guide which has revealed to us that the best way of life is to practice justice and every virtue in life and death this way let us go and in this exhort all men to follow not in the way to which you trust and in which you exhort me to follow you for that way callicles is nothing worth end of gorgias by plato translated by benjamin Jowett. recording by kevin johnson